Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I'd like you to turn in your Bible tonight to Song of Solomon chapter number one. Song of Solomon chapter number one. I asked your pastor several weeks ago uh, if there was any particular topic, and you know, and when you have a guest speaker come in, uh, there's a little intrepidation, a little bit of anxiety because you're like, what, what will he say? What won't he say? And uh, so I asked him, is there anything that's kind of off limits? Is there something that you don't want me to say? Anything uh, that you do want me to preach on? Anything? And uh, he said, preach something that will help your church family because it'll help our church family. And so I want to preach a message tonight from Song of Solomon, chapter number one. I'm preaching verse by verse through the book of Song of Solomon. I have about three messages left, and I have thoroughly enjoyed preaching through Song of Solomon. I know a lot of people, uh, when someone says, turn in your Bible too, and they mention that book, there's like an eyebrow raise, you know, all right, what's he going to say? What's he not going to say? And I have loved preaching through the, the title of the series is called The Book of Love. And so I've just enjoyed preaching verse, uh, verse by verse through this book. And uh, when we look at this amazing book of the Bible, uh, we're amazed to see that there are several things that have to be pointed out. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, but also one of the most controversial. Uh, when you look through this, we talk about uh, the content there. You know, one of the main reasons that uh, it's so controversial, you know, there are content that's involved. Uh, Jewish scholars, Jewish seminary students were not allowed to read this book uh, un- except under two circumstances. Number one, they were already married. And number two, they had reached the age of at least 30. So this is a very uh, candid book. Uh, Apart from about five verses, you can kind of read through it without any uh, hiccups or speed bumps, but uh, there are several ways to interpret the book, but you can look at it through the eyes of Scripture and interpret it with other Scripture and see pretty plainly what the author is trying to give us. I read eight different commentaries trying to study through this book, and I found eight different opinions as to what the author was saying. Uh, So uh, not a lot of help there. Uh, But the purpose is not to prove a point that the author is giving but rather to paint a picture. Uh, By way of introduction, there are four different points throughout the book. Uh, You see a list of characters that are mentioned. Uh, You see Solomon, who's the author. We know all about Solomon. Solomon wrote three books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, We see those three that are mentioned. We know that he had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. Uh, 300 women uh, in, the, in his harem uh, for a modern day term, which also means that he had 700 mother-in-laws. Can you imagine? Uh, 700. God bless the man. Uh, but we see Solomon's mention. Uh, then we see this Shulamite woman, uh, the woman who is being courted. She knows what she wants physically. We see in the book very plainly multiple times she points that out. But we also see who she wants it with. If we see that he is, she is being wooed by someone who loves her, who loves her, and we'll get through that in just a minute. We see the singers that are mentioned several times throughout the book. There is kind of a chorus, an ensemble that gives additional voice and additional content into what's being said. The book was written to be sung, a type of poetry put to music, and uh, the Jews still sing parts of this book at certain times throughout the year at different feasts. 
But we see that there's a list of characters. Number two, we see that there is a love of Christ. Uh, the song points out the rich love that two people have for each other, but it's also a great picture of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ for has for His body of believers, His church, His bride. And we see the contrast of that in the book of Hosea. And Hosea is that faithful man, that faithful lover of this woman named Gomer who is very unfaithful to him. And that, we see, would be more correlated to today's view of the church. We have a loving bridegroom who loves us, who is faithful to us. And many times we find ourselves not as the Shulamite woman, but as Gomer, that unfaithful woman. We see the list of characters, the love of Christ in the book. We see the Lord of compassion. Many times she speaks of how she sees herself and it's not good. She reflects that in chapter number one. She has a very low opinion of herself. But through this book of love, we see not how we see He loves us, but how we're supposed to love Him. And then we see loyalty and commitment. A great example, the one common thread that's woven throughout is the loyalty and commitment that both of these parties have for each other. It's a great picture of what marriage should look like. It's a great picture of what our relationships with one another in the body of Christ are supposed to look like. It's a great picture of the relationship that I'm supposed to have with my coworkers, loving them as Christ loved the church. And we heard a great message on sharing the gospel and being a witness this morning. And we're to love others like He loves us. So with those things in mind, just as introduction, if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write down, number one, the content that is mentioned. The content. Let's look at Song of Solomon chapter number one and verse number one. The Bible says, the Song of Songs which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chamber. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Well, let's pray together tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word and and thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. And thank you for giving us this book of the Bible to reflect the love that you have for us. But Lord, it also paints a picture of the love that we are supposed to have for you. You said in the New Testament, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, help us to see a pure and clear reflection of the love that you have for us tonight through your word. Thank you so much for this church and this pastor and his family and this ministry. Thank you for the great music tonight drawing our attention upward. And Lord, I ask that you please help the message to be a reflection of that. Not looking at a person, not looking at a preacher, not looking at uh, something else going on, but Lord, help us to see that we have a great high priest who loves us and who has given all for us. Oh Lord, please speak to my heart as I preach your word. Help me to be faithful. Please cleanse me of sin. Anything unconfessed in my heart and life, please purify me tonight so that I may speak your word to your people. And Lord, help us to respond accordingly tonight. Help us to search our hearts and see if our love for you is an adequate reflection of the love that you have for us. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. The content. The content of this book begins with Solomon telling us kind of a brief layout of the book. He begins when, in verse number one and he says it's a song. It's a song. Uh, look at verse number one. He says, the song of songs, which is Solomon. 
The first four words give us kind of the supremacy of the book. It's the ultimate playlist. We know that Sol- uh, Solomon was a great writer and wrote uh, thousands of Proverbs. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. It says he spake 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. But the way that it is phrased implies that this is kind of the greatest hits. You ever, uh, maybe you have a favorite group that you like to listen to, and they've been out a long time. Uh, from time to time, those big name groups will put out a greatest hits album. Uh, the greatest hits playlist. And it's all of those songs that kind of take you back to the time when you were following them or listening to them. Uh, this is uh, the greatest hit soundtrack of Solomon. Uh, on October the 23rd, 2001, Apple released for the very first time something called the iPod. The iPod. Now, we don't think much about iPods today in our culture because we have uh, all of the music we want to, Apple Music and all those different things on our phones, but the iPod revolutionized the music industry. But it had a big problem. If you were one of those first iPod users like I was, uh, you had to really pick and choose your favorite songs. Uh, You remember you had to take your CD and you had to uh, load it into your computer and you had to put it on a playlist and then you had to get the album artwork off Google and attach it to your favorite artist because the technology wasn't then what it is now. I didn't just automatically put it in there for you, uh, but you had all of these different things. And if you were a CD junkie like I was, this is a life commitment that I'm going to this iPod. But there was a problem. When you got the iPod and you got it loaded and you synced it to your computer and did all those things, if you were out and about and you thought about a song that you really liked, you would scroll through and think, oh man, it's not on my iPod. You couldn't just go and buy it and uh, you couldn't just add it. You had to go back and you had to sync it back up, all those different things, because you had some favorites. Solomon is writing and he says, this is the song of songs. This is the ultimate collection of my writing. But what's interesting is that this is a song about one man and one woman and the love that they have for each other, which is really rather odd when you think about who Solomon was. At this point in Solomon's life, you see in chapter 6, he tells us how many wives and how many concubines he already had. He had three score queens, 60 queens, 60 wives. 80 concubines and virgins without number. So he already has his harem established. But with that being said, in that same chapter, in chapter 6, in verse number 9, out of all those women, he saw one. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, my dove, my undefiled is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Do you know that when Jesus looks at you, he sees you? He's a personal Savior. He looks at you like there is only one like you. And you say, well, Pastor, that's, that's obvious. You know, there's only one like me. But remember, Jesus loves all of us as if there were only one of us. That's how he views us. And that's how Solomon sees this woman as she is the only one, which is a stark contrast to the way that the world looks at relationships today. If the world, when the world looks at relationships today, if yours doesn't work out, that's fine. You can just kind of cast them to the side and go get another one. Uh, We treat relationships kind of like we treat socks. 
When they wear out, just get a new pair. When you get tired of them or you don't like them anymore, just get a new pair. I wear one particular, me personally, wear one particular brand of socks, and they're called happy socks. That's my brand of choice. And uh, I went through several months ago and I pulled out the drawer. I have an entire drawer full of happy socks. I dumped them all out and no joke, they filled up an entire trash bag, an entire trash bag full of socks. And the great thing about these socks is that uh, every now and then you get a brand new pair. And there is nothing like a brand new pair. Now, this brand new pair will only be new until they are worn and washed. You know, you could keep them new and just wear them again and again and again, but eventually my wife is going to complain and it's not going to be good. So they can only be new until you wear them and wash them. But there is sometimes you get that one pair that is significant. The pair that I'm wearing, and I will not take shoes off to demonstrate, but uh, the, the pair that I'm wearing tonight has hot dogs all over them. And I wear them because they're significant and special to me. A man in our church who we deeply love and who's with the Lord now uh, passed away about two and a half years ago. He gave me these socks that I'm wearing tonight. So even though these are not new, they are significant. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to get rid of these socks. They might get old and worn and one day we'll have holes all in them, but they are special because there is significance to them. You know, there's a day in our life when we had a relationship with Christ that was new. It was brand new. And we, we received Him as our personal Savior, and He became our own. And man, He was new, and man, the love was there, and we would sing, it is well with my soul. And finally, we had peace and contentment and love and joy in our hearts, and it was awesome. And then it got old. And then it wore off. And it became just like another pair of socks. But is there significance in your relationship with Jesus? Is it special? It may be still new. It might still be something that's fresh and alive, and that's awesome, but you can still have the joy of the Lord being saved years and years and years. But is it special? Uh, These are Pastor Ryan's socks, by the way. Uh, Those are for him from Virginia. But uh, they even have palm trees on them, just for you, Pastor. Uh, But when you think about our love for Him, is it still fresh and new? Uh, Martin Luther said, to have peace and love in a marriage is a gift that is next to the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, John MacArthur said, God's way to a successful marriage focuses on what husbands and wives put into it, not on what they can get out of it. How do we view our relationship with Him? How do we view our relationship with others? How do we view our relationship with our church family? We see it's a song. But number two, we see that it's suggestive. This song of songs, this content that Solomon is giving out, uh, this book is not just Solomon on intimacy. This is more than that. This is a love song that uh, has many verses and angles that can be discussed. And it says in verse number two, the woman speaking, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She's talking about the kind of kissing that leads somewhere in marriage. But it's not just talking about that. She's talking about the kind of kisses that she wants him to kiss her and not stop. She wants this relationship not to be a one-night stand, but to be something that lasts a lifetime. This is not something that she wants to get over. Rather, it's something that she wants to enjoy forever. 
And she looks out over the landscape of all these men, and she says, let him kiss me. Let him. A personal. She said, I want him. And when we look out at all of the options that we have to love, we can choose a whole bunch of things. And we can choose a career or a financial decision or a hobby or a personal interest or even a church. But at the end of the day, there's only one thing that demands our love and attention. In Mark chapter number 12 and verse 30, Jesus says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. He boiled it down to two things, love God and love others. Love God and love others in that order and only in that order. So if we were taking a time of reflection right now, who do you love? Who do you love today? Uh, Do you love your Savior first and foremost? Or is there something else pushing Him out of the picture demanding your attention? Uh, Tim Keller said, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. I mentioned a minute ago, 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, we love Jesus and therefore we obey Jesus. See, those who love Him will obey Him. We see not only its song, we see its suggestive. Number three, we see its savor. Its savor. What did she want? In verse three, because of the savior of thy savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Many a young girl who was betrothed or looking forward to getting married or maybe dating that special someone began writing that guy's last name you know, as her own. Whatever your name is, plus that last name of that other person, you know, Michelle Spivey, you know, Michelle Spivey, and how good that sounded for me. Maybe not for her, but uh, I'm thankful she wrote it down. Uh, But uh, over and over, you write down, looking forward to the day where that name was permanent and attached to you. But when you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you bear His name. You wear his name. Acts chapter 15, verse 17 said that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Isaiah 43, verse 1, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I am redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When you think about wearing a name, you have to think about a jersey. You think about wearing a name on yourself, and this is a football weekend. And we were at Pastors last night, and uh, all these guys got a little excited about uh, the 49ers winning. And I I did bring uh, my jersey uh, tonight just to uh, represent. This is this is what a number one seed jersey looks like. I just want you to just want to point this out. Uh, But uh, uh, so for me. You think about wearing a jersey, there is a name on the front of this jersey, and all of those men on that 53-man roster are playing for the name, or should be playing for the name on the front of the jersey. 
But when you think about, there are certain players who, when they play, they have a specific distinction. We have a lot of guys who you know, based on what you hear in commentary and sports and different things, who, man, they're playing for the name on the back of the jersey. Uh, it's just about me. I heard a player this past week who made the comments and kind of made some waves and said, I don't want to be a part of a rebuilding campaign. I, I want to be a winner right now. And you know that that person is basically saying that I'm going to play for me. I'm not playing for the name on the front. I'm playing for the name on the back. But every now and then you come across a player that does actually play for a bigger picture. Uh, this jersey was given to me by a man in our church and then this jersey is significant because that man is also with the Lord now. I have a lot of gifts from people who die. That's kind of morbid. Uh, but don't ever give me anything, okay? That's all right. Uh, but there, from time to time, there come along players who they understand that their part on the team is bigger than just them. There are some players that come along who realize that their part is bigger than even the name on the front of the jersey. And to me, that is epitomized when you see a name like Tim Tebow, because for a very brief time, Tim Tebow was an eagle. <laughs> uh, but you understand that there are some players who get it, and they realize that there is something bigger than just them. There is something going on that's larger than even the game of football. And so as we think about being a player and being on the team, and being on the Lord's team, are you playing for the name on the front of the jersey or the name on the back of the jersey? Is your life consumed with what's best for you or what's best for Him? Is your decision-making what's best for you or what's best for Him? Well, you know, Pastor Heath, I, I just, uh, my life, I've got just a small amount of time left. Well, that should even heighten your urgency to play for Him and not for you. Because we all have a job to accomplish. We have a purpose. We heard a great message on that this morning. We have a purpose, but are you living your purpose? She says, this woman says in verse number four, that she would even run to get His name. And she would do whatever it took to wear His name with honor. And tonight, are you wearing the Lord Jesus' name with honor? When you go to work tomorrow, do people know that you're a Christian? Do people say, man, I don't know what it's all about. I don't even know if I want it, but I know that there's something different about that person. I know that there's something significant that stands out. We had a couple visit our church several weeks ago, Christmas weekend, and they told the girl who invited her at her secular job, she said, hey, I just, we're going to come to church on your Christmas special service thing, but just so you know, we're not going to become those Jesus people like you are, which to me was exciting because she recognized that there are some people who are Jesus people, and they don't all work on staff at a church. They work secular jobs, yet they're still faithful to be a witness. That couple came, and we're still praying for Constantine and his wife and their grandfather, who is Ukrainian refugee, who was there in the service that day, who when they left, they said, we don't know about this church thing. It was the first church they'd ever been in that preached the gospel, ever, ever. They said, we don't know about this church thing, but if we had to choose a church, we would go to that one because there's something different there. 
No, that's not a me thing. That's not a music thing. That's a Jesus thing. And that makes all the difference in the world. We see the content. Number two, we see the concern that's mentioned. In verse number five, she has a concern. As much as she was excited about being his and being connected to him, wearing his name, she had a concern about how people would view her. And we see here in verse number five and six, she talks about her appearance. She says this, I am black but comely. Now, we think about tan skin in our culture today. Man, people grab onto it. They want it. They don't, you know, January comes. It's like, get the tan in bed. You know, somebody get me a tan. But in their culture, it was reversed. If you had a tan in their culture in this day and time, it meant that you were a worker outside. You were a slave. You were a servant. The people who lived inside the fortress, they had very light, pale skin. So this is not a racial thing. This is a social thing. You know what she's saying? I'll never be good enough for you. And you know, we understand deep down that we don't deserve Jesus. We understand that. We, don't, we understand the fact that Jesus is way better than we will ever be. But at the same time, we also appreciate the fact that He loved us and gave Himself for us. We see that this is a social thing, and we know that God is a, not a God of one skin color, and we understand that uh, there are going to be a lot of people in heaven who don't look like us. And that's exactly how God wants it to be. Remember, we see 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. The world might put an emphasis on the color of skin, but we shouldn't. We understand that God doesn't. And as the people of God, we shouldn't. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 21, to have respect of persons is not good. For for a man, a piece of bread, uh, that man will transgress. Romans 2, 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. But we also understand that God is not impressed with our social status either. God's not impressed with my title, my position, my 401k. He's not impressed with any of those things. He looks at the heart, and as his people, we should look at people the way that he looks at people. Uh, Paul Tripp said, your ears listen for what your heart craves. Your ears listen for what your heart craves. Oh, what does your heart crave tonight? And is your ear in tune with his ear? When someone comes to your workplace tomorrow and they talk about how that their marriage is falling apart, and how their kids have walked away, and how they had a rough weekend, man, that's your open door of opportunity to insert Jesus. That's a golden opportunity for you to talk about the peace that you have in your heart, in your home. And your world might be on fire, but there can still be peace in your heart with Jesus. We see her aspiration in verse 7. She said, I'll come to you. She said, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock. She said, I am willing to get to you. She just didn't want to hear about him. She wanted to spend time with him. And don't overlook this truth of this beautiful book. She's not looking for a physical partner. She's looking for a soulmate. She's looking for someone to spend the rest of her life with. And that's what marriage is all about. That's what a relationship with Jesus, it's not on again, off again with Jesus. He wants a permanency. He wants that solid commitment from us. 
Remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife were not ashamed. They had no secrets. There was nothing to hide. She wanted to be with him, spend time with him, him with her. But they had to make that decision. She chose. That's what she wanted. Is that what you want? Do you want that closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want that close relationship with him? We see his answer in verse number eight. He's been listening all this time. And he hasn't said a word. He hasn't responded to what she's saying. But here he responds. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. He says, hey, follow the footprints. And he's telling her where to find him. He gives her a map. He tells her. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't make himself hidden to us. He doesn't give us, hey, you know, if you do this list of great things and you get these 12 things right, then you can come to me. He makes himself available to all men. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And maybe you're searching today. Maybe there's something missing in your life where you're missing Jesus. You're missing something. You might not be able to put your finger on it. You might not be able to uh, be able to say exactly with certainty what it is, but maybe you're missing Jesus. F.F. Bruce said, the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. We can never be satisfied without him. The content, we see number two, the concern. Then lastly tonight, we see the comparison. Look at verse number nine. These last few verses, we see that the king shares his heart with a woman who is desiring to be with him. And he talks about how he sees her. She's already mentioned how she feels about this relationship. She doesn't see herself as anything attractive. But we see his response. He talks about how she's dressed, how she's adorned. Look at verse number nine. He says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Now, let me stop. I don't know about you, but my go-to line when I was dating Michelle was not to compare her to horses. And I would not recommend when you leave tonight that, guys, you say this to your wife. Honey, you look like a prized pony. That will not go over well. I promise. Not going to happen. But culturally, this was a smooth move because Pharaoh's army had the best horses, the best stallions, the best everything. They had the best. Only the finest were suited for him. And he's looking at her and he's saying, you're the best. He's telling her, you're the best. You're the best. He even keeps her, his comments about her in a positive way. He talks about her face and the things that people can see. Remember, she's already said, I'm nothing. I don't have anything that I'm bringing to this relationship. I'm comely. I'm not anything to be desired. And he says, oh, but wait a minute. That's not how I see you. And when you think about how Jesus sees us, it's far different than we see ourselves. We look at the relationship and we see that we don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything that we bring to the table. And Jesus says, I love you enough to spend my life for you and to die on the cross and to be buried and raised the third day because of the love that he has for us. He sees something that we will never fathom when he looks at us. We see that he puts all of her insecurities to rest. Everything. He's putting her mind at ease and 
He's reassuring her that she's beautiful and everyone knows it. See, do you understand how Jesus sees you? He doesn't see brokenness. He sees beauty. He doesn't see flaws and failures. He sees great favor. He doesn't see hurt. He sees healing. He doesn't see your past. He sees your potential. All of those things he sees when he looks at you. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand where I came from or where I grew up or my family history or, or what I did before Jesus. All of that is in the past. He sees your future. That's how he looks at us. He doesn't look at the failures. He looks at the future. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become or becoming new. Everything's new. How she's dressed, how she's adorned. Verse 12, how she's designed. Verse 12, while the king sitteth at his table, she speaks and says, My spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. Bundle of myrrh, she mentions in verse 13. Verse 14, my beloved is unto me as a cluster of camphor. All of these things, these very expensive fragrances that she mentions that would be used for perfume. She talks about how she would prepare herself for him. But remember the reference to Spikenard in John chapter 12 and verse 3 when Mary comes before Jesus and she breaks open that alabaster box and pours out that expensive perfume that was a part of her dowry saved up for her husband. But she uses these things for the love of her life. And this woman here is saying, all of these things I've saved for you. But she's also saying she spent so much time dreaming of him, thinking of him. In verse number 12, she says, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell while the king sits at his table. She's saying, I've spent so much time dreaming, longing, thinking that I can smell what you'll smell like when we're together. I've spent so much time thinking about us being together that I can imagine what that's going to be like when I've rubbed off that smell on you and I can tell when you're close by. Have you spent enough time with Jesus that your smell and his smell, you can tell when he's near? When you come to church on Sunday mornings, can you come in and tell that he's in the room? When you're at home or you're at work, can you tell that he's close by? Have you spent enough time with him that he's rubbed off on you? Can you tell? And then he mentions lastly in the last three verses how she's disciplined. She says, behold, he speaks in verse 15 and says, behold, thou art fair, my love. All but one time we think the word fair and we think something that's reasonable, attainable, something that's fair. But this word means beautiful. She, he says, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. You know, the thing about a dove is they're innocent. They're pure. They're not threatening. He's telling her that I see you the way nobody else does. He's telling her I see you in such a way that I'm not a threat to you and you're not a threat to me. He doesn't see her as just a piece of meat or a transaction. He sees her as someone that he loves, and she responds in verse 16 and says, Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yes, pleasant. She's a daughter of the king and deserves to be treated like one. He is the king and loves her more than anyone else, and 
they had that relationship, the Lord sees beauty and value. And she doesn't understand why. She just recognizes that he loves her and she loves him in return. And this is a new year, 2023. There's going to be new challenges, new opportunities, and new hurdles, new trials, new battles that we will all face. But one thing is for sure, we have a God who loves us, who is faithful to us, who will never leave us, never forsake us. But the question is, do we love Him? Will we be faithful to Him this year? You know, we're 15 days in. How's your Bible reading coming this year? We're 15 days in. How has your witness been? How's your prayer life? We're 15 days in. How is your walk with the Lord? Well, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm expecting pastor and the, the staff to, to lead the church and to, to kind of set forth the vision, which is great, but we're all part of the church. We all make up the body. How is your personal walk with the Lord? We should expect others to hold us accountable. That's what the church does. We ought to be able to walk up to one another and put our arm around each other and say, hey man, yeah, just praying for you this week. How's it going? How's your walk with the Lord this week? Has God done anything special in your life? Uh, sharing that with one another, being transparent, letting people know that it's not going as well as we thought. We're having burdens. We're having struggles. We're having trials. But God is faithful. And we'll continue to be faithful. Five years ago, we were getting ready this month, five years ago, this past week actually. And uh, one of the beauties of social media is it reminds us of all these memories. Five years ago, we unveiled our church theme as we do every single year. And I got up, our theme that year was, I will sing. Psalm 59, 16, yea, I will sing aloud of thy power. We got up and we talked about, man, I will sing. No matter what happens, we're going to sing. No matter what happens this year, no matter what trial, no matter what difficulty, no matter what problem, we are going to sing. No matter what happens. So you know what, what's amazing is when you do something like that, you're kind of sticking your nose up at the devil like daring him to do something. And we said, made a commitment that morning, we're going to sing no matter what happens. That was on Sunday. Tuesday, two days later. We're sitting, having dinner together, and my wife says, I don't feel good. We were having a new recipe, and she is, uh, I'm the pepper daredevil at our house, and she was being brave and courageous, trying some pepper on her, uh, not black pepper, spicy pepper, and uh, on her meal, and she said, you know, I just don't feel like, I feel like I've got heartburn or something. Went to bed that night, she slept on the couch, wasn't feeling good, woke up the next morning, she said, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And so I called a, a nurse friend of mine, and he said, you probably should just take her to the hospital, get her to the ER, get her checked out. Go to the ER and found out that we were going to spend the night there. Found out that her gallbladder was inflamed, and just within three days of preaching, we'll sing! We're having emergency gallbladder surgery. She's in the hospital not one day, not two days, but three days. And what might seem like a little thing, and typically was a little thing, and gallbladder surgery is not a major thing, but for us, you know, newbies to going into a hospital, and when you see your loved one laying in the hospital bed, it's a little different. And we said, man, I will sing. And the devil on Wednesday said, will you? And that very next Sunday, we got up and said, you know, Michelle's out of the hospital, and things are going great, and God's good, and we're still going to sing. 
We saw God use that year, five years ago, this year, 2018, we saw God do some miraculous things because people said, committed, no matter what happens this year, we're going to sing. I'll sing aloud of thy power. And for you, maybe this year is a new year for you and a transformational year. Maybe it's a new area, new job, new opportunity, new burden or trial, but can you continue to sing throughout? Can you lift up your voice and say, it is well with my soul? Can you personalize your walk with him and say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to be faithful because we serve a God who will be faithful to us. But will we be faithful to him? This man said, I love you more than anyone and proved it over and over in the book of Song of Solomon, this book of love. She said, I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. But he said, I love you anyway. Do you love him tonight the way that he loves you? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.